We will uh, see what God's word has to say for us today. I'm going to test this out to make sure I'm working right. Amen. So, friends, we want to make sure that we always remember we don't simply just come into, like, full understanding of Jesus, full understanding of God, full understanding of the Bible. Like, we continue to learn about who God is so we can have an understanding of how to worship him appropriately. But then also, in knowing God, we then begin to know ourselves knowing who he's made us into being, but also knowing the depths of our sin and who we could be tempted to be and how we could be tempted to rebel against him. So we're going to continue uh, looking at a beautiful history of the people of God um, so that we understand who God is. So let me do a brief recap. So uh, we're in Genesis, and we've been there um, for a couple months now. Um, Tara um, is, is... takes Abraham, his son, and Lot, his grandson, Nahor, and their wives, and they move to a place called Haran. Now, um, in, in Genesis 12, God says to Abram that I'm going to bless you, and all nations are going to be blessed through you. It's a, 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 a big, amazing promise that happens, and it's, it's basically like the, the uh, if you can imagine, like a giant firework and someone sparking a match and starting to light the wick, like that promise is going to set off an amazing experience for the people of God um, down the road. And that experience is going to be realized in Jesus. I'm, I'm cool with giving away the end of the story. Um, but but it, it's it, it, this beautiful promise um, is happening here. And um, but also within that promise of him going to bless, he also says that I'm going to curse your opponents. And it's going to be interesting. We're going to see that come up in today's message. Um, God says he will bless Abraham, give him the land of the Canaanites. And, and Abram responds by building an altar and worshiping God. He responds with a thankful heart, worshiping God. Now, this, this great man who's going to bless everything messes up. He, he takes his, his, his wife and says, hey, you know, the, the Pharaoh is, is going to kill you, boo. So in order to care for you, I want you to act like you're my sister, you know. And, and, and he basically um, almost prostitutes out his wife. But in God's sovereignty, God protects her and, um, and, and Pharaoh kicks him out. And when he kicks him out, he sends him with his wife and he sends him with all of his belongings. So now... Now Abram, uh, he has Lot with him, and they just are amassing all of these, all this livestock, all this money. They just have, like, so much stuff that they're starting to be in conflict with one another because there's not enough land to contain how much stuff they have. So Abram looks at him and says, hey, Lot, you pick. You can go to the left, you go to the right, wherever you go, I'm going to go the opposite way. You choose the land that, that, that will allow our people to separate and have enough space. And um, Lot chooses to go west in verse 11 of chapter 13. Excuse me, chooses to go east. And going east is, has not been a good sign 
that that symbol has not been a good sign. We saw that back in the Garden of Eden after sin happens and Adam and Eve leave the garden traveling east. And we'll see a, a continued thread of, of, of traveling east and how it doesn't really work out when people tend to do that. Um, so he chooses what looks to him to be the most profitable land, you know, and that's kind of shysty because you would think that, you know, if, if I'm sitting here with my brother, you know, Ray wouldn't say to his brother, hey, man, like, which which one of the lands do you want to choose? And his brother says, I'm going to go to the one with all the water and play you and send you in the desert. Like, you would think you wouldn't love someone in your family like that. That's not really a beautiful sign of love, is it? Not at all. You know, so... So he looks around um, and takes the takes what he see, thinks to the eye is the most profitable land. Um, and he and so so then Abram settles uh, near the oaks of Mamre in Hebron and he responds to God by worshiping again. So um, just giving you the background of how we get into chapter 14. If you turn to chapter 14 with me, it's going to read. Now, y'all have to bear with me because we're about to have some fun names going on, okay? All right, all right. So at the time when Amraphel was king of Shinar, Ariat king of Elisar, Kedolamer king of Elam, and Tidal king of Goyim, these kings went to war against Bera king of Sodom, Bersha king of Gomorrah, Shinab king of Adam, Shember king of Zoibim, and the king of Bela. All these, la- that is Zor. All these latter kings joined forces in the Valley of Siddim, that is the Dead Sea Valley. For 12 years they had been subject to Kedolamer, but in the 13th year they rebelled. In the 14th year, Kedolamer and the kings allied with him went out and defeated the Rephites in Ashtaroth, Karnaim, the Zuzites in Ham, the Emites in Shava Kirathim, and the Horites in the hill country of Seir as far as El Paran near the desert. Then they turned back and went to in Mishpat, that is Kadesh, and they conquered the whole territory of the Amalekites, as well as the Amorites who were living in the Hazan Tamar. Then the king of Sodom, the king of uh, Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zor, marched out and drew up their battle lines in the valley of Siddim against Kedolamer, king of Elam, Tidal, king of Goim, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Ariok, king of Elisar, four kings against five. Now the valley of Siddim was full of tar pits, and when the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some of the men fell into them, and the rest fled to the hills. The four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah, and all their food. Then they went away. They also carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. Leon, what the heck is going on here? <laughs> I, can, I can see it all over your faces. So let me, let me help you guys, like, get, get the image that's going on. You know, we just... We just coming out of we just coming out of March and you had basketball. You had your March Madness going on. Everyone had their brackets set. I, I thought that this bracket system would help us be able to understand what the Bible's trying to communicate here. Now you got your team one, okay? Team one is Shinar, Ariok, Elsar, Tiddo, 
and Ketolamer are team one. And I, I spelled Ketolamer wrong on the second one. I apologize. He emerges as leader of the Eastern Kingdom. So now what we're going to have, we're going to see team one go to war against team two. And that's Bera, kingdom of Sodom, Bersha, kingdom of Gomorrah, Shenab, king of Adam, Adma, Shemar, king of Zeboim, and king of Bela. Now, Ketolamer's crew wins. They win the first battle. So then you have a second battle that takes place with team three, the Rephites, Zuzites, Emetites, and the Horites. Who wins again? Team one, Ketolamer. His, his entire, his, 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 he again stumps another, another um, adversary. Now, what, what, what happens in verse eight is that team two, who was conquered, they then rebel in the 12th, 12th year. But they come back again to try to fight Ketolamer and hope this time they'll be victorious. What happens? Keto wins again. So now what, what we have is the Bible trying to set precedent for who is the greatest in the land at this stage. Who has like the, 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 the strong arm? Who's the baddest? That's, that's really what, that's really what's being presented here. And now you get to a point where team one, this, 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 this dynasty is rolling and it seems like, it seems like, you know, like, um, sorry, Sarah, kind of like Butler against UNC. You know what I mean? Like you, you got this underdog that might step on the scene, but is he really going to beat the baddest in the land? <laughs> well, let's, let's see. Let's see what the text says. Um, the text says that the four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah, all their food. Then they went away. They also carried off Abram's nephew, Lot, in his possessions since he was living in Sodom. Now, now this, is, this, is a, this is a crazy component that we don't want, I don't want you guys to miss. Because you've got to remember, Lot was the man. I mean, Abram was really the man. But Lot also had so much livestock that it was feuding with Abram's. So they, again, that's why they split and went to separate areas. But, but think of the mentality. Think of what Lot's experiencing. I mean, now he's in Sodom. Feet kicked up on a hammock. Got him a couple of cheeseburgers. The game's on. Like, this is the life for Lot. He's, he, he's, he's relocated. He is now established. And then the whole street gets repossessed. You know, can you just imagine, like, you just left having to divide. We got so much money here. We don't know what to do. Let's split in part ways. And now someone comes in and takes everything. And not only do they take all your stuff, they also make you a slave. So you, you're not even, it's not even like now I'm broke. It's like now I'm broke and I have no control. I'm, I, I have to submit to new leadership. I'm, 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 I'm now captive but you know what you know what hurts though what what hurts as we think of the mentality of lot is that this could have been avoided had he not been looking at the grass being greener on the other side you know had he not had he stopped and said you know what abram you said i can choose either way let's pray 
Let's pray and ask God, where are we supposed to go? Instead, he said, oh, I get to choose. Man, that soil over there looks good. That'll work for the yams. You know, I need some, I need, I need, you know, some water for my horses. That'll work. You know, he begins to have a motive that, that is selfish. That, that will put him ahead. And, and, and I don't, I don't know about you guys, but I can go there at times. I can, I can base my decisions on what I see. And, and, and I dare I say we're all tempted to, to enter into that where we, we know that there's a process, God, and there may be some patience and there might be some waiting, but the opportunity looks so good right now. Why wait? God, why even, why even ask you? Why wrestle with it? Dude said he's going to hook me up on my taxes. I can get back two G's. What's the problem? My man is doing hookups at the rental car agency, and I can get a free rental car anytime I want to. So they got plenty of money. Enterprise isn't hurting. I, 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 it's just playful fun. God, you know, she's cute at the job, and we just play around flirting. I know I'm married. I'll never leave my wife, though, but it's okay if we just flirt, right? The, the temptation for immediate gratification Man, how it can distort our, distort our focus, distort our perspective, how quickly we can place, place hope in what we see. When that's, that's, the Bible talks about that's not faith. Faith isn't being able to take a step out based on what you see. That's easy. Non-believers can do that. So now what's Lot's state? Now Lot's state is one where this brother is a, he's a captive. He's now a slave. He's now broke. <laughs> and he's in need of a savior. So how does this, what, what happens next in the story? Back to Genesis 14, verse 13. A man who had escaped came and reported this to Abram the Hebrew. Now Abram was living near the great trees of Mamre, the Amorite, a brother of Eshcol and Aner, all of whom were allied with Abram. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out to the 318 trained men born in his household and went in to pursue as far as Dan. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them, and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. He recovered all of the goods. Damascus is far north, my brother. So they were, they were like, um, they were trekking and like really on the tails of these people. It's almost as if like they come in, fight them, and then like beat them down. They run and they run, chase them and beat them down again. It's like it's like relentless, um, continual punishment uh, to the point where they're, the, the enemy is fleeing and they're giving chase. <laughs> um, he recovered all the goods and brought back his relative lot uh, and his possessions together with the women and the other people. So now let's go back to our to our diagram, to our bracket, because the way things look 
There's no way in the world that Abram's supposed to be able to step on the scene and conquer one who's already conquered two other groups. There's, it's just the odds are stacked against him. He's not supposed to be able to step in and be victorious. He for sure isn't supposed to have the king running. And now Abram's giving chase on his heels. That is not supposed to be happening. So 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 where. So now who's the baddest in the land? His brother, his brother, his brother, Abram. And we I, I want you guys to, to hopefully I hope you guys can see this image visually. Um, it's a lot of little people coming together to create an arrow. And something we want you guys to continue to look through, and this is part, part of your, your study and your time in God's word, is to look for typologies. That's, that's, that's a, uh, a type of person who's going to point towards someone else. So sometimes you have a typology that is wicked. You know, like that is um, like what we're going to see a typology for Sodom and Gomorrah, like the name Sodom means evil and the name Gomorrah means wicked. So we'll see how these communities continue to play out the Bible as evil and wicked. See if they live up to their name. But the typology is, is, is showing us, whoa, this could be our heart. This could be a component of who we are as God's people. Look out for it. See their character. Okay, let me make sure I'm not walking in character like theirs. But then there's typologies of individuals who are God centered. And 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 what what the Bible wants you to do is see, wow, there's a trait that's present in that person that could be pointing towards Jesus. Specifically here with Abram, uh, the, the, the trait that's present is that he's victorious, not because of. Not because of his skill set, not because of his excellent weaponry, but he's victorious because of a promise given to him back in Genesis 12. That's the only way he comes on the scene and is able to be victorious against this guy who's supposed to be the king, who's supposed to be taking over and conquering everyone. So does this is this promise true? Well, it begins to be fulfilled through Abram. And we're going to see how um, after Abram returned. And that's verse 17. Uh, so so please, I want you guys to see that Abram would be one of these people. And there's going to be another. No, can you guys name in the past? We've been from Genesis one to Genesis 14. Who else might be a person that would be in here based on what we've studied already? Noah. Enoch. Seth. Amazing. Amazing. There we go. There we go. See, I love a little studying going on. See, we can get that discount to the conference, right? We studying. All right. All right. (laughs) After Abram returned from defeating Ketolamer and the king's allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of uh, Shaveh. That is, that sounds like one of my cousins. name. Valley of Shaveh. That is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. And he blessed Abram, saying, blessed be Abram. Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. 
Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. The king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, with raised hand, I have sworn an oath to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me to Aner and Eshcol and Mamre. Let them have their share. Amen. Amen. So who is this brother Melchizedek that steps on the scene? Because he he you don't see him in the in the fighting narrative. He's not one of the kings that's joining forces and becoming an ally. So how does he just pop on the scene? Well, the, his, his name means king of righteousness. And, and he's the king of Jerusalem. Like There's like 90% certainty that this reference is to Jerusalem. If you look in Psalms, I believe it's Psalm 76, verse 2, it parallels Zion with Salem um, as, 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 a, as a holy place, as a uh, place of peace. So you also have... Um, the title Salem um, is Salem in and of itself means peace. It means well-being. So you have this dude Melchizedek, who's the king of righteousness, king of peace, and he is, um, and he's also uh, 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 he's also king and priest. And we'll see that that there's a number of different um, associations that come with the priest motif. Um, he's, he's generous. He meets Abram and gives him bread and wine as he returns. We'll see that, you know, Sodom was the one who really benefited most by, by Abram fighting. And Sodom doesn't give him anything. But he comes out with bread and wine to nourish him. Um, he's without beginning or end. And, it's, and, and, and though that statement is short, it's really powerful. Because if you look back, and we can look in Genesis 11... Um, you often find in the body, in the Bible, like this person begat this person and this person came from this person who was this person's cousin. Like you, you get the lineage and that lineage is really important because it, it shows you like the, it shows you the, the, the mode and operation by which God is working. But when it's not mentioned at all. And it's and there's an extremely important association of king and priest. What's being communicated here is that God himself has 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 authorized the beginning of this person. They don't they don't have to be Leon's son who inherited something. It doesn't have to flow from the normal lineage that that that's used to 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 really confirm that you are who you say you are. You know, that, and that's what that's what tends to happen. It's like, OK, um, he indeed is Jesus from the lineage of David. Great. But there's also a different lineage. There's a lineage of God. And, and what's being communicated here as that Melchizedek flows from that lineage that, hey, um, you will not find a beginning and end for this person because they are outside of of the normal means of operation. There was um, D.A. Carson references, um, he references uh, a story in Sherlock Holmes where 
the dog is always barking every time somebody comes inside the house. But on the night that a murder happens, the dog doesn't bark. And the void of barking symbolizes that the person who committed the murder was what? Somebody in the house. You know, that that void speaks volumes to the way the whole story unfolds. The same here. The same here. This this person has this person is going to bless and speak so highly of Abraham, the one who all blessings are going to flow through. And he doesn't have a lineage to track that he is who he says he is. That's because God, in a beautiful manner, has placed him in the story to be another typology. A typology that we can't grasp. We hate mixing religion and, and authority together. Actually, it was outlawed when, when the people of Israel were to reign. They, you could not be king and priest. Here it's done and shown in a beautiful manner. That if you are from, from the lineage of God... It can be done in a manner that brings salvation, a manner that brings restoration. And it's pointing towards one who will fully be king and savior, king and priest. So a a king does everything with the well-being of his people in mind. A, a, A king will will even die for his people. If it is for their good, that's how it's supposed to be. Now, we see we're going to see a lot of kings who don't do it the right way, you know, and, and it's tough for us to 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 see, to think in that mindset, because we get politicians that throw the people under the bus for some little Debbie snacks. I mean, so it's tough for us to understand, you know, really, really what it looks like to be truly sacrificial, you know, but but. I've been trying to wrap my mind around this, around what it looks like for the priest to offer sacrifices on our behalf. And and I know that this 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 example might not fully get it, but we're going to take a stab at it. How many people have received one of these? Little little bitty little bitty ticket, little piece of paper. That little piece of paper costs you a couple hundred sometimes, you know, man. So so what 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 happens is you might you might get a ticket. Right. And and let me first say that the priest's role, the priest's role is to to present the people holy before God. And he does that by transferring the sin of the people onto animals. And those animals are sacrificed on our behalf. All right. So the priest is trying to trying to present us holy before God. This, this ticket scenario hit me because, you know, when you get a ticket, there's an, there's an immediate impact, right? You were going somewhere. Now you have to stop. So you're going to be late. There's, there's, there's that first impact of you probably won't be on time or you won't be there as fast as you hope to be. Second impact is it's going to hit your pockets. Yeah, you, you're going to have to pay a little money. Might, might be a little. To me, it's always a lot. But, but then there's another impact. Because when you get that insurance in the mail, they, they, they went up on the rates. The rate has increased in your insurance because you got a ticket. Now you may have to take from an area that you planned on to be able to cover your higher insurance rate. 
I'm trying to, to give you guys an understanding of sin. How sin, we can view sin as, oh, I did this one thing. But it's far-reaching. It, it, it's, per, it's, it's permissive. It, like, it flows into so many different networks that, that y'all, we, we need to each have a farm full of a thousand bulls because we're going to be coming back to the, to, the, to the priest every day, every hour, bringing our sins forth to be cleansed. Like, like you need to get the depths of sin and how the priest's job is to take, take transfer that sin to an animal but but what what is what where we fall short is that we have too many sins and the priest can't do this forever like the the priest can't I mean if if it was if if we really wanted to achieve what God wants us to like I just need the priest by myself y'all can't come to him cuz he's going to be doing sins for me all day there's, there's, there's not enough room for all of us to come to the priest, right? So while he's taking care of you, I'm waiting in sin. While he's taking care of me, he's waiting in sin. Like, like this sin problem is so deep. It, 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 it leads us to be thankful for the priest. Because without him, how would we be dealing with sin? And without, without this structure that God has set up. But it also leads us to say it's inadequate. It, it doesn't fully fulfill what we need, which is to be cleansed and restored once and for all. So I, I, I want to show I want to let the story unfold because we see in the text a few different things happening. We see Sodom. His name means evil. We see Melchizedek. King of Salem, whose name means righteousness. We see Sodom offer nothing. And he was the one whose all of his things were brought back to him. His people were saved. He offers nothing. King of Salem offers Abram bread and wine, tries to bring him nourishment. We, we, see, we see the reality of a, of a of a couple of, we see the reality of Genesis 12 starting to take place. Because now, let's hold on, hold on, let's not jump there. Can we all turn to Genesis 12? Because I'm assuming that we all have, have, have read that piece. And we're going to read verses 1 through 3. And it says, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So we see, we see, an acceptance of the blessing when when um, Melchizedek speaks so highly of of um, of Abram. And he says, excuse me, I'm turning there. He says in verse 19 of chapter 14, he says, blessed be Abram 
by God, most high, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God, most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. You see that there are two, two quick things. First, 12 said he would be blessed. Melchizedek gets to be the first person to bless Abram. So I guess what God said was true. I guess he said that the guy would be blessed, and then we see it actually happening. But again, why, why is he blessing him? He's not blessing him because of Abram's, Abram's mighty strength, his wisdom, his military, military ways. He's blessing him because he has the high God who he submits to. And he even says, um, and blessed be God most high, in verse 20, who delivered your enemies into your hand. So, so it's, like, it's like Abram finally sees the brother who he can do the chest bump with. It's like, Melchizedek, you worship the world most high. Me too. Oh, God just saved us from this, from this great king who should have stumped us. Yeah! You know, like, like I mean, like, they, they are excited and worshiping together. Sodom, 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 not, not so. And we see it when Sodom even tries to offer him more money and says, hey, go ahead, take the money. You know, typically when they would win from after a war, they come back and they would keep a large portion of whatever whatever the king lost. The king, hey, you lost some, but at least you didn't lose it all. Let me go ahead and bless this guy. At least he brought back my people, my children and my women, too. He says, I won't take anything from you. Not even a strap off a sandal. You think that's just because he didn't because he didn't like him because he just, you know, was, was trying to be super humble. No, like he knew that the that that Sodom's desire was to be able to have a burden placed upon Abram's shoulders. Now you're going to always owe me. Look how I hooked you up. And he peeps game. He sees it. He knows. Wait, wait, what? No, you didn't do this, Sodom. God did this. So I don't I don't need your money. I'm praising the most high. So so we, we see this 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 um, contrast between Sodom and between between uh, Melchizedek. But what 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 I love is 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 how Abram responds, because just as just as as Melchizedek is saying things like, hey, God did all of this. And he's having a, a heart that's full of worship. So does Abram. And how does Abram pay back or not pay back? How does Abram like bless God? He blesses the man of God. And he says to this man who's king and priest of the most high God. And, and, and this is beautiful because it shows us that, yeah, Abraham and the people of the people of Israel are going to be focused on God and God alone, but that they weren't alone in that. Melchizedek was king of a people who also worshiped the Most High. So what we see here is a, is a beautiful image of Abraham worshiping. How does he worship? By giving a tenth of everything. He says, hold on, Sodom. I don't need anything for my pockets, but I am going to take some and bless God. And then the only thing you need to do is care for my men. That, that's on them. If they want to accept money and be in the cahoots with you, that's cool. If they want to reject it, that's cool. But for me, I'm going to tithe and give to, to, to the king who, who represents the most high. 
And it's and it's and it's it's a good challenge for us today. It's not the challenge is not did you tithe? Because that 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 confines you. The challenge is how do you worship in light of God being most high? See, this is this is Abram tithing before the law is even written. So the law of tithing hasn't even happened yet. But Abram does it. Why? Because it's not it's not based on rules. It's always been about faith and it's always been about a heart of worship. Now, the problem we have today is we'll say I'll tithe with everything. I'll tithe of my time. I'll tithe of happy helping people, but I won't tithe of my money, God. And I want to say that that's 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 not worship. There shouldn't be any component of who you are that you're willing to hold back from God, even your money. Even your money. So I'm encouraging us to not simply ask, do we give enough money to look at the depths of our heart and ask, Lord, am I worshiping you with all that I am in every area of my life, with all my heart? As 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 Abram challenges us here. I already talked about him refusing the gift. So, again, could 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 you see Abram as another one of those typologies that fits that fits pointing towards? One who's going to be fully king and fully priest. I, I want us to turn to Hebrews and Hebrews, or maybe the sixth book from the back of the Bible. Oh, if you get to James, you just missed it, and if you get to Titus, go one behind it. We'll go to the Book of Hebrews, chapter seven which is going to bring it all home for us. And we're going to jump around a little bit in chapter 7, but it's, it's, it's going to be uh, this writer helping give us a clear understanding of what's just taken place. Hebrews chapter 7. It reads, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, go ahead and turn there. You know we're about the Bible here. Everybody there? Amen. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God most high. So there again, it's confirmed that he was the, he was, he was the priest of Salem. He met Abraham, um, who later Abram's name will be changed to Abraham. Uh, he met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness and also king of Salem, which means king of peace. Without father or mother, Without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the son of God, he remains a priest forever. So just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of plunder. Skip down to 15. And what we have said is even more clear. If another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest Not on the basis of regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. For it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And basically it's comparing the priesthoods. It's showing, hey, there's a divinic divinic line. I don't even know where the clock is. But there's a divinic line, a line from David that does flow through genealogy. That's beautiful. 
but it does not fulfill the need of eternity. This order of Melchizedek does. You see, he was placed right in this right in this story with no beginning and end. So how suiting that one who falls in the line of Melchizedek would also have no beginning or end. For it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now there, verse 23, we jump to and still in chapter 7. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in the office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Hey, man, such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners. An earthly high priest is great. He helps take the bull before us. But guess what? He's got to present a bull for himself. He's got to deal with sin just like you and I. He doesn't escape that. Jesus does. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day. First for his own sins, then for the sins of the people. Man. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Can't say it any better than the, than, than, than the writer right here in the New Testament. He sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself. I, w- I want to recap some of the some of the points that have been raised. So that you walk away wrestling with this text and that you'd be encouraged. Do you look for opportunities based on what you see? Is, is that. Is that is that a is that the main way that you make your decisions? Are there traits in the king of Sodom that you find in yourself? Ill motives for blessings? Do you help people so that you can get something back? Do you do you show appreciation? <laughs> Somebody does something for you? Do you lack appreciation? Are there are there components? Are there character traits that you might see in the king of Sodom that you see in yourself? Do you acknowledge God when you are triumphant? Abram did, and he responded in a worship-like manner. That, that doesn't mean you have to, you know, do a song and dance every time, but you know what it's like when you're thankful. You know what it looks like for you when you truly are thankful for something. It might be as, as simple as just saying thank you. It might be a hug. It might be a card. It might be you put a banner on the back of a plane and say, look up there. You know, I don't know. You know what it's like when your heart wants to worship. How does Christ's eternal role as king and priest impact your worship? I mean, if he's saying, I am king today, that means I rule over you and all things that deal with you. My decision making is better than yours. Because you only see from your perspective, I see the kingdom. Will you let me be your king today? But will you also acknowledge that I am your priest today? I've dealt with your sin. And it's not just the sin that you committed. I've dealt with the sin you will commit. How does that impact our worship? And, and finally, 
what does it look like for you to stand on the promises of God? We see a beautiful illustration of of a promise being made to Abraham, Abraham and then it coming to pass. I pray that that encourages us that we can stand on the promises of God, that we're 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 made whole in Jesus. Every insecurity can be brought before the cross and dealt with. That there is an eternal glory for us that far outweighs every tribulation we're experiencing today. Will you stand on the promises of God? Will you pray with me?